This brings us to the next section of Jerusalem's destruction and the end. Chapter 21, verses 5 through 38. In this section, Jesus warns that his coming is not the end of the domination of the Gentiles like they expected, but rather the end of Jerusalem at the hands of the Gentiles. This section, he's going to begin to look forward to the future. He's going to let them know that I am the Messiah, but this coming of me was not to bring an end of the Gentiles, but it was to bring you into the kingdom of God. And because you've rejected the kingdom of God standing before you, it is going to become the beginning of the age of the Gentiles where they will turn against you and judge you and condemn you for your rejection of me. And then in the future, I will come again. And that will be the end of the Gentiles, the nations. And that's what he begins to go to in this section. Israel had chosen the physical temple over Jesus, the true temple. At the end of this last section, they have made it clear, we rather have the temple state government that humans have created and have impressed us and made them powerful than to have this new kingdom that you're bringing. Because even though this is oppressive and we don't like it, we're used to it. And what you're bringing is unknown It flips our world. It's scary. It's going to change the status quo. And as Plato said, sometimes people are willing to endure suffering because they're used to it. They know where everything fits. Then to try some radical change for something else because change oftentimes is scarier than whatever hardship they're going through. I just had a conversation with a girl today who needs to have a conversation with some people in her family about things that are happening and how it's affecting her and hurting her and that kind of stuff. And like, you have to have this conversation and let them know. I mean, they're not ill-intentioned. They just don't know how it's affecting you. And you need to have that. And she's like, I know, but that's so scary. And what happens in the unknown? And, da, 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 da. and I'm like, yes, but this isn't fun either, what you're going through. But I can't do it. What I don't know what will happen. What, what if they do this with you? And it's like, yeah, I know. What if? But... This isn't fun either. But that fear, the unknown, is way scarier to her than what she's being, going through right now, being oppressed. In. And that's human nature. And I, I sympathize with that. I get it. I've done it. I've been there, and I will again. But that's human nature. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This is why the people are rejecting the true temple for the temple that's already there. They recognize the, the temple that's already there. And so in Yahweh's judgment, both temples would be destroyed. One, the physical temple, to bring an end to their political kingdom that they've created. The other temple, Jesus, the true temple, in order to build the kingdom of God that will bring people from all the nations into an eternal kingdom that will last forever. Because it's of God, because it's organic, because it's community. It's not based on politics. It's not based on money. It's not based on power. It's not based on systems. It's based on God and his people. Only Jesus of the temple would be rebuilt. When the Romans destroy it, that temple still has not been rebuilt. Right now there's a dome of the rock there, the Muslim mosque. It has never been rebuilt. Thousands of years later, 
But three days later, after Jesus' temple is destroyed, it's rebuilt. And it's the little rock of Daniel's vision. It's the mustard seed that grows into a big mountain, a big tree, and lasts for all eternity, and eventually overtakes all their governments. Jesus denies that the end would come immediately after the fall of Jerusalem, but tells them things would instead get worse until the kingdom of Yahweh came in his fullness. Until then his followers were not to follow those making false claims about the end of his coming, but they were also not to respond in fear. They were instead to watch. The focus is on readiness. So Jesus is going to make it very clear in this section that when Jerusalem falls and the Jews are punished by God for rejecting him, that's not the end. That's the beginning of the end. And that his coming and establishing the kingdom of God in a physical, dominant, all-encompassing kind of a way is not going to happen that moment. That that moment is going to begin the end times. And the end times are going to last for a very long time. And the Gentiles are going to tread you. They're going to tread you, and it's not going to get better after the first coming. It's going to get worse. Politically, government power, wars, oppression is going to get worse. But in that entire time, Jesus is going to build his church. He's going to build it through his people as the little mini temples, the living stones that are being built into the cornerstone, 1 Peter chapter 2. And he's going to build it. And he's going to give them peace and joy and hope that passes all understanding. But physically, power, politically, it's not going to get better. And in that time, you're not to follow teachers who say, look, the second coming is coming. Look, it's here. Look at that treaty that's happening in Israel. Look at Trump moving the embassy to Jerusalem. You're not to listen to people like that. Now, I'm not saying it's bad things to keep up with the news, but you're not to look at those things and think, oh, this is when Jesus is going to come. This is the sign of the second coming. This is is because it's not going to happen. And you're going to be like, oh. And when you keep following those false signs of those false teachers, well-intentioned or not, some people are really godly people who meant really truly well and thought that they got it and they said it. It doesn't make them a bad person, but the statement was false. What's going to happen is you're going to get your hopes up and it's going to collapse. And you're going to get your hopes up and it's going to collapse. And eventually you're going to stop actually looking to the kingdom of God. And you're going to quit. And I know a lot of people who have just, they've, they've become obsessed with the second coming and they've done all these things and it still hasn't come and that thing didn't happen, that thing didn't happen. They thought that treaty was that and the treaty has. And now they're like, they're not interested in any of that stuff anymore. They're not interested, they're not looking, they're, 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 they're tired. They're defeated. They've lost hope. Because they were too obsessed with signs. And it doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't, many of these people I respect tremendously. They have influenced me. I am who I am because of them. They're great godly people. God, they're going to be in the kingdom of God. God is pleased with what they've done. But there was a, a wrong focus at times in their life. And it's drained them of energy. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not what you're to focus on. You're to focus on not fear of what's happening to you right now as it gets worse and worse. And not these signs of what things are going to come one day and when they're going to come. But instead you're going to watch for him. Not signs. 
Focus on Him. Stay in the Word of God. Stay focused in prayer on Him. Ask Him what He wants you to be doing right now. As it gets worse, and as He keeps waiting to come back, what does that mean for me now in my life? What does Christ want me to do today in my little nook of the world? Not what's happening in politics of why He's coming tomorrow or next week or in a year. Not what's coming one day, but I am going to be focusing on the Word of God, on my transformation, the renewing of my mind. I'm going to make myself a living sacrifice, and I'm going to be Christ-centered and heaven-oriented, and I'm going to ask Him, what is your will for me today? And I'm going to be ready for you to come whenever it is. And whether that's readiness is for you to speak to me today and guide me today, or that readiness is that you literally physically show up today. That's the focus. Not signs, but a relationship with Christ. And that's what he's going to emphasize in this section. Chapter 21, verse 5. Now, while some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you are gazing at, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another. Speaking of 70 AD. So they're like, look at this amazing thing. This is the thing of God, even though we built it. This is where God works, even though we're all corrupted and cheating people. This is where we worship God, even though we're trying to kill God's Son right now in here. Look how amazing God is, even though we're the ones who adorned all this with beautiful things so we can pat ourselves on the back and God doesn't care about gemstones and gold and all that stuff. You see all that that you admire that you built and you think it's all about God? The days will come when this will all be completely destroyed. All the things that you've, your government that you've built here, your glory that you've built here, yours, one of the wonders of the ancient world that you admire and take photographs and put on postcards and pass out to everybody, it's all going to disappear in a short time. So they asked him, Teacher, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? And he said, Watch out that you are not misled. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. And when you hear of wars and rebellions, do not be afraid, for these things must happen first, but the end will not come at once. Ignore the people who say, this is the sign and that's the sign. But don't be afraid either as things get worse. Because remember the second coming of Christ is not an event, but a process. It's not an event. It's a process. And the process begins the minute he is raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit begins to enter into people. And with every believer that surrenders their life to Christ and becomes a part of the temple, grows the kingdom of God a little bit more, decade after decade after decade, eventually that process grows until it leads to the second coming of Christ. Just like conception is an event that leads to a process and birth is an event that leads to a process. Jesus' first coming is an event that leads to a process of the kingdom of God growing and influencing the world. Chapter 21, verse 10. Then he said to them, Nation will rise up in arms against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places. And there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. So he says, look, things are not going to get good. Now, he doesn't say earthquakes are going to increase and things are going to get worse. He just says there's going to be a lot of bad things. 
You're going to see earthquake after earthquake. The planet's going to fall apart because of our sin. Partly because sin has affected the planet and you're ruling over it. And when crappy humans rule over in selfish ways, the planet falls apart. And other reasons it's going to fall apart because you're going to strip it of all of its resources just like you do these widows. When you gain more and more technology, you'll move from widows and stripping them and you'll move to forests and rocks and all this stuff. Now, I'm not saying cutting down trees and fracking all this stuff is bad. I'm, that's, I'm just saying the overstripping because of our greed is bad. I don't think God never intended us to use creation and build from it. It's just the greediness of just take, 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 take till there's nothing left. That's what he never intended. That's not what he wanted. But before this, they will seize you and persecute you, handing you over to the synagogues and prisons. <laughs> the Jews are going to seize you and the Romans. You will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will be the time for you to serve as my witness. Therefore be resolved not to rehearse ahead of time how to make your defense. For I will give you the words along with the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So he says, in that time comes, not only will the world fall apart, not only will earthquakes happen, not only will there be things in the heavens that will fall apart and all that kind of stuff. And we're not going to get into all the end time stuff because that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is just talking about the decay of creation at the hands of fallen images of God. They're ruling in corrupt kind of ways. Your rulers who are backing all this are going to seize you as well. And they're going to take you and they're going to put you in prison and they're going to question you. But notice what he says, don't be afraid because I'm allowing this to happen so you can be my witness. If you want an example of that, it's Paul saying, Hallelujah, I'm imprisoned by the Romans. And they are now forced to listen to me talk about Christ as the government because they have to guard me. And they're carrying me to Rome for me so I can speak before the people in trials. He didn't say, woe is me, I'm on trial. Now, I'm not saying that Paul never had bad days, that he was never sad, that he never dep depressed, that he never wondered and questioned. But ultimately, in the end, he said, yeah, but the gospel's being preached. I'm on trial. And emotionally, that's hard. And what's going to happen to me is kind of depressing and scary. But at the same time, the government's paying me to talk about Christ in their own government houses. That's what Jesus is saying. You're going to be my witness. Don't see this as a miserable thing that's happening to you. See it as an opportunity to talk about Christ. And don't rehearse what you're going to say. I'll give you the words. Now, this doesn't say, shame on you who've read apology books. And shame on you who watch YouTube videos of how to share the faith. You should have never done that. What it's saying is, don't trust in your own skill and wisdom and research and time. But lead in the Holy Spirit. Not that you can't study the Word of God. Not that you can't learn how to speak better or share the gospel better or defend the faith. But when it comes down to it, don't trust in your own knowledge and your own skill and say, yes, I'm a great orator. But trust in the Holy Spirit and allow Him to use what you've learned and how you've trained yourself. I have put a lot, a lot of time into reading and researching and studying pretty miserable, boring, tedious commentaries so that you don't have to. I hate 
writing. I absolutely abhor writing. But I write this because some of you said that it helps you. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Okay? But it also helps me organize my thoughts, too, as much as I hate it. There's a lot of things about research. I, I know I'm gifted in research. I know I'm gifted in teaching. But it doesn't mean I enjoy every aspect of it. And with all this knowledge and all this stuff that I've studied, some of you have figured out half the things that I say on this night are not even in these notes. So you try to follow, you're like, what the heck? And, and you know, a lot of it is like, I didn't know I was going to say that. I pray before every time I teach and I just say, like, I know God has gifted me with knowledge and research and stuff, but ultimately, like, I can only go so far with the mind that I have. And ultimately, it's Jesus who owns the word and not me as a Pharisee. And there's so many things come out. And sometimes I say things, I was like, wow, that was really good. But I know it wasn't me. <laughs> okay? I'm impressed by the words that come out of my mouth. But it's not me who came up with that idea. It's, it's God. And I, there are so many times that I've experienced that over my life. And, and I know that's God working. And I'm not saying that everything I've ever said is from God and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying there have been lots and lots of moments. Every single night I can point to something that I went off on something that I never intended to go. But I looked back and thought, like, wow, that was... There are probably things I went off and God was like, why did you go there? Okay? <laughs> but but there's those moments when I later and I'm like, that was definitely God. And that was not my idea. There's been dots that were connected as I was speaking, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I didn't figure that out in my living room. It's just speaking out loud brings a whole new revelation. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't put the time and the effort in, because remember, he does not reward people who Netflix binge on the couch eating bonbons. But at the same time, he says, but your knowledge is not the key to unlocking and building the kingdom of God your skills and your efforts. It is you as the image. I gifted you. I've asked you to surrender. I have trained you. I want you to use your giftings. But it is when we work in tandem, side by side, that we expand the garden. Adam and Eve tried to expand their own, and they failed. Lots of people have just sat back and prayed and done nothing, and they failed. But it is only when we work and pray and trust in God and join Him that the kingdom of God truly thrives. And that's what Jesus is not saying, don't prepare. He's just saying, don't trust in yourself to build this thing. And I know that because of the greater context of the word of God that tells us to be ready and to train and study and be prepared and all that kind of stuff. You will be betrayed by even your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will have some of you put to death, and you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Yet not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. We don't relate to that as much, but go to the persecutedchurch.com and learn about how people have been betrayed by their families and their own communities and that kind of stuff for the faith. That They've made them choose me or God. And they've had to choose. And God has not allowed anything to harm them. Now, he doesn't mean none of you will be harmed because lots of Christians have died in horrible ways throughout history and are to this day dying in horrible ways. What he means, perish. That word perish is eternal perish. That's that none shall perish, but have eternal life. 
Do not fear the one who can kill the body, but the one who can destroy the body and the spirit. And this is what Jesus says. Even though they may harm you physically, this is a temporary kingdom that will be destroyed. You are part of an eternal kingdom that will never perish, never fade, never spoil, that is being kept by God in heaven for you on the day of Christ's fulfillment. Peter, chapter 1. That's what he's saying. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now that really sounds works oriented. <laughs> Wait a minute. You just said don't trust in your own work and preparation, and now you're saying by your work, you'll. No, endurance is the same word for perseverance. It's not your works and efforts that will allow you to gain your lives, your eternal life. It is that you persevere to the end of the race and not go to not deny Christ, to not give up. It's the long suffering. And the epistles will make this clear, but the book of Hebrews really makes this clear. This is one of the foundational arguments in the book of Hebrews. There's two major arguments going through. And one of them is the true mark of the believer is the one who perseveres. You know, by the way, that you end the race. The true believer perseveres and does not give up. And then he says, those who walked away from the faith and gave up, Reveal themselves that they never were part of the faith to begin with. And that's what Jesus is saying. Your perseverance, your sticking it out with Christ, no matter how crappy life is, because you believe that he's better, and that to gain the world and lose your spirit with God is not worth it. But to lose the world and gain your spirit with God in the new kingdom of God for all eternity, that belief that keeps you going through whatever happens to you after I leave this planet that is what will gain you eternal life. Because if you're truly saved, the Holy Spirit will be in you. And I am convinced that neither life nor death nor heaven or hell nor anything above or below can separate you from the love of God, that you're sealed in Christ, in the Spirit of God, that He is faithful to complete the work that He began in you. If you're truly saved, you cannot quit because the Spirit is in you. Chapter 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come near. Now, he uses that same phrase from Daniel, the abomination desolation. Now, when Daniel talked about the abomination desolation, he meant when the Greeks were coming to destroy everything under Antiochus IV, which we talked about in the intertestamental history. But Jesus then takes that and says, just like that was fulfilled by Antiochus IV and the Greeks, because of your sin and rebellion against the prophets of God, then that desolation is coming again at the hands of the Romans and Titus because of your rejection of the Son of God. He's not saying that this coming of the Romans is the fulfillment of Daniel. He's saying Daniel is going to be repeated again, so to speak, in a new way. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, those who inside the city must depart. Those who are out in the country must not enter. Because these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Woe, morning of death to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing their babies in those days. For there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall on the edge of the sword and will be led away as captives among all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled down 
by the Gentiles until the time the Gentiles are fulfilled. This makes it very clear that he's talking about 70 AD. A lot of people try to make this about the end times and the Antichrist. But he literally says the trampling in Jerusalem. He's, he, he's, he's talking about not one stone will be left standing. This is very clearly a very immediate 70 AD, 135 AD fulfillment. He is speaking to this current generation and he's saying, woe to those who will be. So he's saying when those days come and they begin to turn against you, run, run for your lives, run to the hills. It is better to run away and live another day to share the gospel of Christ than to stand in stupidity and allow yourself to be slaughtered. Now, I'm not saying people who have been killed for their faith are stupid or they've wasted their life. I'm not saying that at all. They could not run. They, okay? Like God used them. But what he's saying is there are times to run and there are times when you're seized. And when they seize you, be my witness. Do not be afraid and trust in the Holy Spirit. But when they haven't seized you, run. Run. Keep the church going. Keep the church going. And it's going to be so horrible at times after I leave that it's not going to be good for pregnant women and weak and frail. And we've seen this. I mean, we can just go through human history. World War I, World War II, the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia and the Hutsis against the Tutsis. And it's, it, those are not good days. Those are not good days. Verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on earth. And nations will be in distress and anxious over the roaring of the sea and the surging of the waves. And people will be fainting from fear and from the expectation of what is coming on the world. Of the power of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man arriving in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to happen, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So he says, when these days come, there will be things in the sky too falling apart. We can, we can talk all we want about like, is the sun going to black out and all this kind of stuff. But we really just end up right in the same place again. Hypothetical hypothesis. Don't know. Is there evidence that stars have fallen and meteorites have hit things and destroyed things and earthquakes? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. But he's saying that when these days come, there will become a day when the Son of Man will return. And he will return on the clouds. And remember, the only thing that's above the clouds is Yahweh. And if he comes on the cloud, then he's claiming to be Yahweh. And he's coming to bring an end to everything in that sense. Verse 29. Then he told him a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the other trees. When they sprout leaves, you see for yourself and know that summer is now near. So also you, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So he says, look at the fig tree. You, you can look at a fig tree and you can tell by the budding and the flowering, the leaves and all that kind of stuff when it's going to begin to produce fruit. So I'm telling you, when you see all these horrible things coming, that's a sign that the Son of Man is coming. You're like, wait a minute, Jesus, you just told us not to pay attention to the signs. Remember, he's not looking at very specific things. He's just saying, when things get worse, know that that's not the end of your life. That's the coming of the kingdom of God. He's not saying this specific thing that will happen in 19-whatever is the proof that I'm coming. He's just saying when things get worse, 
Don't worry, the fruit will eventually come. Then he says, I tell you, not one generation will pass away until they see this all happen. There's lots of people who try to figure this out because this hasn't happened. <laughs> and he's saying, no, this will pass away until that generation. Some interpreters say, obviously, this gener- who is this generation? Some interpreters have seen this generation to who Jesus is speaking as the one that Luke is writing. So Jesus is saying, you people right now who are standing to me face to face, you're the generation I'm talking about. You will not pass away. You will not die until you see everything that I've talked about be fulfilled. This generation will not pass away until everything I've just talked about happens. Now, obviously, this isn't correct because they died and all these things didn't happen. Some have then said that Jesus is referring to the events of 70 AD as the beginning and of all the signs. So he's talking about the generation that's actually going to see all that stuff happen. So the first view is like, you people that I'm talking to right now, you won't die until you see these things happen. The problem is many of them died and that generation passed away and then those things didn't happen. So some scholars are like, well, maybe he's talking about the generations of 70 and 135 AD when they actually are destroyed and driven out of the land and the temple and all that kind of stuff, that generation. The problem with that view is that the context implies that the fulfillment of Yahweh's kingdom is in view, that these things begin at 70 AD and 135 AD, but continue to happen throughout the ages to come until Christ comes back. And if that's true, we're talking about lots of generations that have passed away. Others argue that this generation refers to a type of generation, the type of generation that's going to experience it, like the Jews or the Gentiles or the Christians. The the Christians, that type of a people, will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. The problem is this is not how the word generation is used anywhere in the, the Greek language. Generation literally means a people, like a genealogy, a current people who are alive and doing things, not like an ethnic group. If Jesus was referring to an ethnic group or a category of people like America or Christians or whatever, he would use a completely different word. Those words are not interchangeable, just like we don't use generation and ethnicity interchangeably. So that doesn't work. Another view And this tends to be the one that most scholars lean towards, but it still has problems too. Is that this generation refers to that will be alive when the signs begin and that they will not pass away until the fulfillment of the kingdom of Yahweh, implying that it will not drag on for generation after generation. This view suggests that the generation who is alive, um, that God is using this in a metaphorical way of a generation that will be at the end And when these things start happening and the final fulfillment, not the long-term earthquakes and bad things happening, but when everything finally starts to happen and Christ actually is coming to earth, that generation will not die until they see the fulfillment of everything. Meaning that even though there's a long process of trials and persecution and end times that we're going to go through between the first and second coming, and we're on 2,000 plus years right now, when Jesus actually begins to physically return and truly establish his physical kingdom on earth, that's not going to drag on for a long time. That, that, whatever generation is alive, when that second coming of Christ happens, they will not pass away until Christ fulfills 
everything. It's not that this generation who experiences the beginning of the end will not pass away until everything is fulfilled. That's not possible. It's been 2,000 years. But the generation that's alive when the end is truly here and Christ is truly coming, they will not pass away. Meaning that Christ won't drag his second coming out over decade after decade after decade like he has the end times. But he will, when he comes, it will be an event. And it will be bam, 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 bam. Does that make sense? That obviously also feels a little awkward. Okay, why wouldn't he say that generation will not pass away? A remote demonstrative rather than a near demonstrative. This versus that. And that's got problems too. But out of all the views that people come up, that seems to be the most likely. Unless Jesus is just totally wrong and they all passed away and none of that stuff happened. But there's too many other things in the Bible to say that one. So, so that's the problem here. Verse 35. Be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. That the day close down, close, and the day close down upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will overtake all who live on the face of the whole earth. But stay alert at all times, praying that you have the strength to escape all these things that must happen and to stand before the Son of Man. So every day Jesus was teaching the temple. So basically Jesus ends all this and says, when it really comes down to everything that I just said, the main thing that I want you to take away from this is to be vigilant. To stay faithful to me. No matter what you see happening in your governments, no matter what you're watching on the news, no matter how horrible the world gets around you, no matter how many nations collapse, and a lot of nations have collapsed in the last 2,000 years, no matter how much you're persecuted, and a lot of Christians have been tortured and persecuted and marginalized over the last 2,000 years, no matter how bad it gets, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't toss in the towel. Don't act like all your sacrifices were not worth it. Do not start acting like the world and medicate yourself. Don't turn to drugs and alcohol. Don't turn to entertainment and binging on Netflix all the time. Don't turn to overeating to comfort yourself. Don't turn to fame and promotions. Don't, don't medicate yourself. And today he would throw Netflix in there along with drunkenness. Don't medicate yourself. Because when I finally come, it'll close like a trap that you don't expect. It'll be so quick and so instantaneous. You won't have time to get your life in order and ready. Persevere. Stay vigilant. Focus on me. Be committed to me. Don't get wrapped up. Right now, it is so easy to get caught up in the news and get depressed. Right now, it's so easy to think that all the hopes of what we have are laid, wrapped up in America. And if our comfort in America disappears, we're all screwed. And what Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Many nations have collapsed. And Christians were all a part of that. And it was not comfortable for many people throughout human history. And the people who stayed committed to God did not medicate themselves to alleviate the pain and suffering who did not cling to the comfort instead of commitment to Christ. 
They're the ones that end up in the Fox Books of Martyr. They're the ones that we admire. They're the ones that we read the missionary books and that kind of stuff. Jim Elliot and all these people. And they weren't perfect. And they've got flaws. And if we knew them well, we'd be like, holy crap, that's pathetic what you just did. But in the end, they persevered. And they did not focus on signs. And they did not cling, cling to comfort. And they did not lose hope. And when the trap closed, either in their martyrdom or in the second coming of Christ, they were with Christ, and he said, well done, and good and faithful servant. Do not get wrapped up in the media or the prophecies of Tim LaHaye. Focus on Christ and what he has for you in your relationship with him and what he wants you to do in your little nook of the world, day by day by day. That is the ultimate goal. Because when the Son of Man comes, it's, it's not whether you stood up well in the face of the government that put you on trial. It's whether you'll stand up well in the face of Jesus when he comes back. Who cares if you get the approval of the government if Christ is ashamed? So every day, Jesus was teaching in the temple courts. But at night, he went and stayed at the Mount of Olives, and all the people came to him early in the morning to listen to him in the temple courts. They are so fascinated, attracted, drawn to who Jesus is. And they know that there's something absolutely unique and incredible about him. But when push comes to shove, they will disregard everything in this section. But the main goal is to focus on God and not everything that's happening around you and the approval of men. And they will turn on him and they will seek the Pharisees and the government and side with them instead. And they will kill Jesus to maintain their comfort rather than go through the hardship of following Christ. And this is the point. Right now, they really like him. And they know there's something there. And they're attracted and they know they want to be a part of it. But they don't know him well enough and they're not committed to him well enough to sacrifice the world for him. And that's this, that statement right there is setting you up for the fact that they will completely miss everything he just said here. Everything we've talked about tonight, the owning and the schooling of the Pharisees, and being greater than them. The owning and schooling of the wisdom of the world and being greater than them. And then the warning to not seek the comfort of the world and to not be filled with fear when the governments begin to put pressure on you. And that ultimately Christ is the greater object of your faith and the greater source of your peace and love and will build a greater enduring kingdom than anything these people do. When it comes down to it, they said, you know what? I'm going to choose the comfort and the people that I'm used to, even though my life is going to be miserable because I'm not going to be part of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to kill you, Jesus. That's the sad part. That's the statement that that's making. It's the foreshadow. So the question is, are we going to do likewise, or are we going to heed the words? Are we going to get wrapped up in the fear of the culture and choose to compromise to maintain comfort? And then feel like, oh, but Christ, you're taking way too long. 
And if you really truly are good and loving, why is this happening to us? Or are we going to say, this is no different than anything that's ever happened in human history. And in fact, it's still not as bad as anywhere else. And in the end, and even if it gets worse, your kingdom and what I have in the Holy Spirit in you is far greater than anything that this world can temporarily offer me. And I'm not going to get wrapped up in the sensational fear ratings of the media. But I'm going to focus on Christ because he is good, even though life is not always easy. That's the question. That's the question.